This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. We've been following the story of Jesus and the disciples that's leading us toward the cross. And we're at a point in the story where their paths have diverged uh, from the, the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas brought the uh, officials there to arrest Jesus. They, they took different roads. And we've been following Jesus through his trials. Last week we talked specifically about how he stood before the Jewish leaders and, and was questioned by them and they rendered a verdict and then was sent to the Roman officials. Uh, we talked through that whole process of trial. And we haven't heard much about where the other disciples are. All we know is that after Jesus was arrested, they scattered, they fled. And uh, we won't hear from many of them until we find them again hiding together in a safe place. Judas, we know, took, took a path that was separate from the rest of the disciples. And after betraying Jesus, he went back to the religious leaders and tried to return the money that he, they gave him to betray Jesus. They refused to accept it, and he went and took his own life. Peter and the other disciple that we've come to understand is very likely John, that he writes about himself, calling him the other disciple through much of his gospel, uh, have, have gone after Jesus as he was taken away in custody, as he was taken to those, those trials. They, they stood close by, keeping an eye on him. And that's where we find Peter today facing his own kind of trials outside while Jesus was being questioned indoors. And through this section of the story, we come back to those themes we talked about at the beginning of the series. And, and the theme that we're going to recognize through our sermon today is the, the theme of the identity of Jesus that has been prevalent and will stand out again today. The identity of Jesus. And, and we, we've seen that very clearly spoken. When, when Judas brought the officials to the Garden of Gethsemane, he identified Jesus as his master. And Jesus said, yes, it's me. When Jesus was taken in for questioning, the religious leaders were, were determined to get Jesus to identify himself in a way that they could call blasphemy. And when he went before Pilate, the, the crucial question for Pilate was this, are you the king of the Jews? Again, very focused on the identity of Christ. Today we're going to talk about the questioning that Peter endured. Not so much of the identity of Christ, but about Peter's relationship with Jesus. That was what was being questioned, a specific moment in Peter's life where he was put to the test. Now, Jesus told Peter that this time was coming, actually told Peter that he would deny knowing him. As they were leaving the upper room after they celebrated the Lord's Supper, Jesus spoke to the disciples and, and let them know that this was going to take place. In Matthew chapter 26, if you have a Bible and you want to open with me, you can read along together through our story this morning. The words will be on the screen if you want to use the YouVersion app on a phone or tablet, you can open up the app and find Scripture and sermon notes there. Just search for Parkview Finley. We'll begin in verse 31. Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And all the other disciples said the same. Now, Peter heard what Jesus was saying, but he didn't believe what Jesus was saying. It was a unique moment in their relationship. Peter disbelieved Jesus when he said, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny knowing me three times. Peter believed himself to be above that. He could think of nothing that would cause him to deny knowing Christ. He, he, he tried to wrap his mind around scenarios that, that might cause him to do that. He couldn't think of anything. In fact, he, he went to the worst case scenario. What, what, if, what if someone threatened my life if I denied knowing Jesus? Would I do that? No. Even if I have to die with you, I will never. And all the rest of the disciples agreed with him. We look back at Peter's experience with Christ, we can easily see how driven he is, how dedicated he is to Jesus, how he's stood in the way to protect Jesus, how he has stepped forward and spoken without really thinking sometimes. We've seen him very clearly provide his understanding of who Jesus is, and even his own faith in Jesus as the Son of God. We have a specific example in Matthew chapter 16. If we turn back, in the, the story of the gospel there, when, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's an important question. Who do you say I am? Peter's response has become an example to us, and, and we use that example uh, in, in our acceptance of, of Christ. When we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again, we have faith that he forgives sins, and we want to have him as Lord and Savior, our response is a public profession of our faith. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We repent of our sins and are baptized in his name. There's a, a very public, very formal acceptance of Christ, making a public proclamation of our faith. And that, that public proclamation is a very important part of that decision, to make our faith known in the world. And yet that, that moment, that very public moment, is not the last time that we should make that kind of proclamation. We have a daily opportunities to proclaim our faith, continual opportunities to proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? What are those moments that come up in life that present themselves, opportunities for us to proclaim Christ? There's a chart in your bulletin below the points. This is something we don't usually do. I want you to look down there. It's a T-chart. So the, the crossbar of the T is pretty high. We're going to label both sides, and then we're going to put information below. On the left side of your T-chart, when you title that Proclaim, we're going to talk about the ways that we proclaim Christ in the world today. And, and, and as, we, as, as I offer suggestions to you, I invite you to write those down. I also want to invite you to think of the opportunities in your life where you have had the opportunity to proclaim your faith in Christ. I want you to think of, of opportunities in your life that, that are, are currently facing or that are going to be present in your life. And jot those down. I'd love to know what, what your perspective is. I'd love to hear from you later about the things that came up in your mind about these opportunities 
to proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, to display a testimony of that faith. Here are a couple of suggestions that I thought of. First one's very simple, something that happens all the time. When you're eating a meal in public, in the lunchroom at work, in the cafeteria at school, when you sit down in a restaurant, you're having a meeting with someone, you sit down with your, your food, there's, there's a moment of decision that we all face. For some of us, there's not much of a decision. It's an automatic reaction. But there are other times where, where this is something that, that we really struggle with. Should I bow my head in prayer or should I just dig in and start eating? It's a difficult decision to make. And when we're, we're eating in a public place, we have this opportunity to proclaim our faith in Jesus, to bow our heads before eating. And, and we know that everyone in the room who sees that motion will understand that we have a faith in Jesus Christ. It's just a small, simple way to make a proclamation. And yet it's valid and true. Another opportunity that comes up in life is when we have a request, an invitation that we have to say no to because it happens at the same time as an event at church. Now, what kind of thing would that be? Well, maybe it's a, a request from a manager or a supervisor at work to take a shift on a Sunday morning or uh, on an evening during your, your Connect Group Bible study. Maybe it's a friend who says, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to have dinner with you. you know, we'll go watch a movie, spend some time together, and it happens to be on a night when you should be worshiping or, or studying together with your group. And there's this moment of opportunity for you to make a very public statement in front of someone else about your relationship with Jesus, how important it is to you to be present at church, to worship the Lord. Now, I'm not saying if you miss church that, that you're not proclaiming Christ. What I'm saying is that you have an opportunity to, to out loud say to someone else, my faith is important to me and I want to be at church. Now, I know that, that I, can, I can watch the online service later. I can, uh, if you have a real need, I can come to work today. But, but know that, that I don't want to do this on a regular basis because I want to be with my church family on Sunday morning. I want, to, I want to be present and worship with them. I have a group that meets for Bible study. And while I'm willing to do this, I, I want to dedicate myself to the study of God's Word. There's a, there's a moment where we can proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but that moment can also become a testimony. It can become a moment of evangelism. We say, you know, there, there's an event happening at my church tonight, and I would really like to spend time with you. Why don't you come with me? to church, and then we can, we can go out to eat together afterwards. I'd love to have you meet the, 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 the friends that I have at Parkview. It's a great moment for us to proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ. Another opportunity that we have that comes up quite frequently is the, the opportunity to make a distinct moral choice because of our faith in front of other people. Maybe you're having a conversation with a group of people, and you know everybody's talking and laughing, and the the kind of language that people are using would be offensive to some people. And, and, and when it's for you to respond in that conversation, you make a very distinct choice not to use the same kind of language that other people are using. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever said golly or gosh in front of a group of people, it's very clear to everybody in the room that you are making a decisive choice not to swear. And it is very well known. Maybe your moral decision is about content. Maybe you have a friend that says, hey, why don't you come over? We're gonna, I want to watch a series with you. I want to watch a movie with you. And, and you have to say out loud, you know, I, I would love to spend time with you, but I've made a very specific decision in my life not to watch 
anything with this rating. I've decided not to watch anything with this kind of language in it. I've decided not to watch anything with this kind of overt violence or sexuality and nudity in it. And, and while I'd love to spend time with you, I'd love to watch a movie with you, would you mind if we watched something else because of the, the moral decision that I've made not to have that as part of my life because of my faith in Christ? And I know that that's going to cause a problem for me. That's a very decisive moment to, to make a proclamation about faith in Jesus Christ. A very public, very difficult kind of thing to do. There are a lot of, a lot of different kinds of moments for us to abstain from or replace a specific activity because of a moral choice that we make. Maybe the opportunity for you is, is about Christian branding and the idea of wearing a t-shirt with, with a cross or a shirt that says faith on it so everyone will know that you have faith in Jesus Christ or that you would carry a Bible around and put a bumper sticker on the back of your car or maybe that you would use Christian imagery or Bible verses on your social media account so that everyone will know that you are a Christian, that you have faith in Jesus Christ. That's a very public proclamation about your faith in Jesus. There are more opportunities, more scenarios that probably you can think of. These are just a few suggestions that I wanted to bring to your attention. Continue filling in that left side of your chart as you think of the ways in which you can proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ every day in, in the situations that you face with other people. These proclamations of faith are an important part of our relationship with Jesus Christ, identifying with him, honoring him in front of other people. And that's an important part of any relationship. That's the same way that we interact with our friends and our family members when we go out in public. We're, we're, we're glad to be with them. We're glad to be seen with them. We're glad for people to know that we have a relationship. We don't hide those relationships from other people. You don't invite your mother out to coffee and then sit on other sides of the lobby of the coffee shop because you don't want people to know that you're related. You don't go out to eat with your spouse, sit down at a restaurant and wear dark sunglasses and a fake mustache because you're worried people will see you together. We don't do that. Because we love the people that we're with. We're proud of the fact that we have a relationship with them. And we want other people to know them. And people walk up and say hello. We say, well, have you met my wife? I want to introduce you so that they can get to know them as well. That's what our relationship with Jesus should look like. That we would publicly proclaim our faith in a way that we can introduce other people to Jesus. That we know and love and have them come to know and love him also. Now, when we think about what it takes to make these kinds of public statements of faith, there are risks involved that, that we have to be aware of. There are risks. The first risk is a risk to our reputation. And we understand there are people who will make fun of us for our moral decisions that we make in public, who will criticize our behavior, even talk about us behind our backs when we're not around because we choose to live a life that's distinctly different from the world around us. And our reputation may suffer in the public eye. We, we risk relationships when we choose to make a public proclamation of our faith. Friendships, family relationships. What I've noticed is that they get strained when there are opposing beliefs. If you ever brought up politics at the dinner table, you know how, how strained relationships can be when, when two individuals hold different views. When you make a public statement about your faith, if, if you are with friends who don't share that faith, that difference can really strain your relationship. If you're sitting with family members who, who aren't Christians and you start talking about your faith, that can strain your relationship with them. And sometimes it can end relationships because 
those decisions, those moral decisions, put us on divergent paths from the people that we care about. And we risk our relationships. We also risk indulging ourselves. When we choose to live our lives as a proclamation of faith in Jesus Christ, we have to be careful to live a consistent example of that proclamation. That's what makes our testimony effective. When we, when we have a Jesus bumper sticker on our car, we have to be very careful to drive defensively, not cut people off and slam on the brakes so that they believe that every Christian is as big a jerk as we are. We have to be careful when we're wearing a Christian T-shirt not to chew out the manager at the store where we're shopping or to berate the server at the restaurant where we're eating because we are representing Christ and all Christians everywhere when we brand ourselves with those images. And we very clearly have to remember the next time we go to that restaurant and we're not wearing a Christian shirt, it doesn't give us the right to treat people poorly because they're going to remember that public statement of faith. We should never make a public display of something that isn't a private reality, either good or bad. All of us have great intentions about living out our testimony and proclaiming our faith in Christ in this world. But it's not an easy thing to accomplish. As we see, some, see from Peter, fulfilling our intentions to honor our relationship with Christ is often much more difficult than we imagine. And as Peter was questioned during trial that Jesus faced, we see his failure in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 69. Let's read there together. Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came out to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And Peter faced the temptation that he wasn't prepared to overcome. Now, he knew that the moment was coming. Jesus very plainly said to him, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. But the reason Peter wasn't prepared to overcome that temptation is because he believed himself to be above it. I would never do that, Jesus. I don't care what happens. I'm not going to do it. I'm not even worried. And when the opportunity came, he failed. He was not prepared to overcome it. In our lives, we must be prepared to overcome the temptation to deny Christ. We have to prepare ourselves. We have to think about those situations that will come up and, and make a decisive choice here and now how we're going to act when those situations come. Because these moments of temptation that challenge our commitment to Christ will be present in our lives. Like Peter, we think about that possibility and we think, no way. I'm never going to do that. There, there's nothing that would cause me to deny that I am a Christian, to deny my relationship with Jesus Christ. I would never renounce my faith. I can't even imagine that situation happening with my life being threatened, and the only way to save my life is to say I'm not a Christian. How, how would that even happen in this world? When I was a kid and in the church in the early 90s, 
there was a, a Christian music artist who, who made a music video. And it, it was about uh, this family in futuristic world. And the father of that family, it was uh, the, taken into custody in this, in this futuristic prison. And they were, they were leading him off to the execution chamber. And the only way to save his life was to deny his relationship with Jesus Christ. It was a horrible video. But it was something that, that caused me to question if I was in that position, what would I do? And as a, you know, 12-year-old, I had no idea. I would, I would like, hope that if that ever came up, that I would, I would honor the Lord. But I, how can we even begin to understand what that situation would be like when, when we live in, in a country where we can't imagine that even being a possibility? And then we understand the, the warning that comes from Peter's example, that when we believe ourselves above that kind of failure, we're susceptible <laughs> To that kind of failure. The way that we face that kind of temptation is to understand that we're capable of making that kind of decision and addressing that capability by making decisive choices that protect us from failure. And so we're going to talk today about the opportunities in life that come up that are temptations to deny a relationship with Jesus Christ. So on the, the right side of your T-chart, I want you to write at the top, deny. Now let's talk about what some of those things are. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in a church with hard wooden benches that we sat on that lined the sanctuary, even rows, called church pews. Church pews are made of really hard wood. The bottom is curved in such a way that it doesn't match the backside of any person. There's no good way to sit in them. The, the back of a pew is rigid and at an angle and really tall, and there's no comfortable way even to put your arm up on the back. It just, it doesn't work. If you're, if you're fortunate enough to have the end seat, there, there are armrests carved into the wood, but they're the wrong height. And I grew up being uncomfortable in church all the time. Now, at Parkview, we have, we have nice padded chairs, we have coffee, convenient lighting, great music. It's a comfortable place. So I thought, maybe the sermon today is what's going to make us uncomfortable since the chairs are so good. I just want to warn you, as we talk about what it looks like for us to be faced with temptation to deny Christ, I was uncomfortable thinking about these things. I didn't like the idea of what this means for me and for you. So as before, as we talk about these possibilities, I want you to think about your own ideas and jot them down on that right side of the chart. Love to know what you're thinking, the ways that you've seen this become a reality or possibility in life. The beginning of our list on this deny side should probably include the negative response to all of our opportunities to proclaim Christ. Let's think about that for a minute. When we sit down in it, the lunchroom at work, cafeteria at school or restaurant, we got our food there, and we just dig in and start eating. We've brushed right past an opportunity to proclaim Christ. And we're tempted by that moment. When we're sitting in a meeting with an important person at a restaurant and the food comes, and we feel that weight, that pressure, that question comes up. Maybe not very often, but occasionally it does. Should, should I offer to pray for this food? Or do I wait and see if the other person is going to pray first and just do what they do? Hmm. 
It's an opportunity and also a temptation for us. Now think about the, the greater impact of being able to sit across the table from someone and pray for them, pray for their family, pray for the food that you're about to share together. That's a, that's a huge moment to walk past. What about the moments when other occasions easily take us away from church and we don't even offer an explanation, we just readily say, oh, I, I would much rather be there than here. Or what about when we follow the influence of other people rather than taking a moral stand in our decision-making? And we let the decisions of other people sway us and pull us into dangerous moral territory rather than being an example and helping to influence them to live in a better way. What about when we refuse all forms of branding because the, the questions and criticisms that might come? What if we walk right past all of those moments and ignore them? Are they simply omissions of the opportunities to proclaim Christ, or is it something more? Is not proclaiming Christ the same as denying Christ? That's a, that's a hard question. And it's not hard because the answer is difficult. It's a hard question because I don't like the answer. We look at the book of James, chapter 4, verse 17, and he says this, that sin is not just doing what's wrong. Sin is knowing what's right and not doing what's right. That's also sin. We have these moments in life, these opportunities to proclaim Christ, and very often we're tempted to move right past them and refuse to acknowledge our relationship with Jesus, to hide those things. Because of all the risks, because of reputation, because of rep relationships, because of the things that we want to do that we don't want to have to say no to, because of the example that, that we know we should be living. Even beyond these, these missed moments, the, the negative side of the proclamation, there's, there's more opportunities for us to be tempted to, to deny our relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you something I struggle with. When I meet new people, I have a hard time with that conversation. And while I'm getting to know someone that I've never met before, I typically dread the question, what do you do for a living? That I, you know, a new neighbor moves in and I have a conversation across the fence and building common ground, getting to know somebody. And then that, that question comes up that I have to answer. You, you know what it is when you, when you have a, a preconceived idea of who someone is because of their occupation, right? There are a lot of occupations that tell you a lot about the person who, who does those jobs. I don't want to name them because, you know, we won't point fingers. Oh, let's point the fingers at me. What I've noticed is that people have a preconceived idea of what a minister is because of the minister at the church where they grew up, because of what they've seen uh, a priest or a minister act like on television or in the movies, because of what they've seen in the news. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of stereotype that goes with this occupation. And when we get to that point of conversation and I say to someone, oh, I'm a minister at Parkview, or I work at Parkview Christian Church, there's an immediate change that takes place in them. 
I have seen people physically stand up straight. I'm serious. I have heard people out loud when I say, oh, I'm a minister of the church. I can see them thinking about the things that they just said. One person apologized to me. I'm sorry if I offended you with the language. I didn't, I, I didn't mean to offend you as a minister. What? I'm not. I, I am a real person who happens to do ministry. And I want to get to know you and help you come to know my Lord and Savior as well. And I can't do that if my occupation builds walls between us. That's the hard part for me, is that I want, to, I want to build a real relationship with a person and help them come to know the Lord. And so the, the difficulty that I face in meeting people is, do I hide my occupation from them for a little while? Do I try and push off that, that statement, I'm a minister, so that I can get to know them on a deep enough level that they see me as a real person before they find that out? And when I do that, What kind of statement does that make about my relationship with Jesus? That's a real struggle for me. Because I'm convicted that when I hide that, I am denying my relationship with Christ. And maybe you felt that way about identifying yourself as a Christian or telling someone about the place where you attend church. And we have a responsibility to capitalize on these moments to proclaim Christ. And, and, and God provides them for us to make an impact in this world. We also have a, a responsibility to these moments of failure also, where we realize that we haven't proclaimed our faith in Christ in the way that we should. In fact, if we were to be real honest, what we've done looks a lot more like denying that relationship than it does proclaiming it. And when we realize that we've failed, when we have those moments like Peter when the rooster crowed, we have decisions to make about what to do with that failure. We can go back and address those moments, re-encounter those people and say, hey, I just wanted to talk to you about the way I behaved in front of you. I want to talk to you about the things that I said before. I've been, I've been feeling convicted that what I said to you was inappropriate. I shouldn't have said it that way. Sometimes the impression we made is the impression that stays, and we have no opportunity to follow up with another person and correct those things. And what we do is we learn from those moments. We grow from those moments and commit ourselves to do better the next time they come up. But those are painful moments, aren't they? when we're aware of the, the times that we failed, when, when, when Peter heard that crow and he knew he'd done what Jesus said he would do, he wept bitterly over that moment. Now, I want to I draw your attention to, to Luke's account of that happening. Luke adds a detail that the other gospel writers don't. Here's what he says. Just as he was, Peter was speaking, the, cr the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Oh, can you imagine what that would be like? Not only to, to realize that you'd failed, but to look into the eyes of Jesus and know that you had disappointed him. That would be so hard to overcome. We, we have those moments in life, these rooster moments. I don't know what else to call them. When, when you have that moment of recognition that you've, you've disappointed person that you love, that you've failed to honor the Lord in the way he's calling you to honor him. 
And maybe it's not a rooster crowing for you. Maybe there's a place, maybe there's a person, maybe there's a sight or a sound that, that has reminded you of your own failure. You've missed an opportunity. Maybe it happens as soon as you fail. You go, ah, that was me. I should have done that better. Maybe it's later that night as you're trying to fall asleep and you're thinking about the events of the day and you go, oh, no. Maybe weeks go by. Maybe months go by. Maybe you don't even come to that realization on your own, but somebody else has to say to you, hey, do you remember when we were talking last month and you did this and you said that? And we feel those feelings. We're reminded that we've failed. Now, the point of the sermon is not to say, don't ever fail. <laughs> don't misunderstand me. The point of the sermon is for me to ask, what should we do with those moments? How do we respond to those failures? How do we grow from that? Peter's relationship with Christ didn't end with the rooster crowing and him weeping over his failure. When Jesus rose, he encountered Peter and restored him as a disciple and invited him to make a commitment in terms of his faith to grow beyond that moment. If you love me, feed my sheep. But for Peter, this was a, a pivotal time in his life to recognize his failure, to see his faults and flaws, to be humbled by that experience, and to make a decision that he wouldn't be defined by that failure, but instead he would step beyond it and allow the Lord to help him grow past it. That's what we're given through Christ. That's what grace looks like in our lives. An opportunity to surrender our failures to the Lord and let him move us past those. Let, let him move us beyond them to become who he's calling us to be. That's the example we have from Peter's denials. That we can, with the help of the Lord, overcome those painful moments in life. Now, they are painful. They're humbling. And they're difficult things to be confronted with. But when we surrender them to the Lord, when we acknowledge the truth that's there and commit ourselves to grow from those experiences, God does amazing things in us. I want to challenge you this morning to think about what God can do with your life. As you honestly and sincerely let him work in you.